This is going to be a tough story to tell, because it involves a 14-year-old girl who was a victim of a truly heinous crime. We understand that by the end of this two-part episode, the story may elicit strong emotions from our listeners. We want to assure you that the heinous team shares your feelings of anger and frustration over this case. We share this story with a heavy heart, but we hope that by shedding light on this tragedy, something like this will never happen again. Now for the story. It's 2003, and in the quiet city of Ulsan, South Korea, a 14-year-old girl named Choi lived a life that was far from simple. Growing up in a broken family, Choi struggled with challenges that were beyond her years. Her father was an alcoholic, and this alcoholism had turned him into an unpredictable and violent monster. His daughter Choi was his favorite target. Every time he got drunk, he would lash out at her with brutal force, leaving her with bruises and scars. The emotional abuse was just as bad, if not worse. He would belittle her, make her feel worthless, and destroy her self-esteem. Living with her abusive father had turned her home into a battleground, with every day marked by the threat of violence. For a 14-year-old girl, the situation was unbearable. Choi felt trapped, powerless, and alone. She had no one to turn to for help, no friends to confide in, and no family members to offer support. Several years ago, Choi's mother, unable to endure the abuse any longer, fled the family in fear of her husband's temper, leaving Choi to fend for herself. Online sources indicate that Choi had a younger sibling who was 13 years old at the time, but it is unclear whether her sister was subjected to their father's abusive behavior as well. Choi's life was a constant nightmare, but unfortunately, it would only get worse from here on. Much worse. listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by 1UP Media. This episode contains scenes of graphic imagery and violence. Listener discretion is advised. With no one to turn to for comfort or support, the only escape that Choi could find was through a computer screen where she could temporarily forget her troubles and connect with others online. In the year 2003, Korea experienced a technological revolution as social media platforms were gaining immense popularity among people, especially teenagers. This included platforms such as MySpace, MSN Messenger, and SNS, which stands for Social Networking Service, a Korean term for social media. For those who could afford a computer, these platforms were easily accessible from the comfort of their own homes. For those who couldn't, there were numerous internet cafes or PC banks spread throughout the city, with some operating 24 hours a day. These internet cafes were more than just a place for people to use computers. They were also a sanctuary for students and teenagers. <laughs> the allure of online gaming and social media was so strong that it became an escape from the pressures of everyday life. For many, 
the constant stress of schoolwork and the expectations placed on them by their parents and society created an overwhelming need to disconnect from reality. As a result, they would spend hours and sometimes even days at the internet cafes. This trend continued for several years, and online gaming addiction would soon become a serious issue in South Korea. But at the time, Choi found it unbearable to face her father's wrath at home after school, which led her to wander around the city aimlessly instead. It was during one of these walks that she stumbled upon an internet cafe. The loud sounds of games and chatter coming from the inside piqued her curiosity, and she decided to venture inside. The warm glow of the screens and the smell of instant noodles wafting in the air created a welcoming atmosphere that she had never experienced before. She sat in front of one of the computers and logged onto the internet. Although she could have easily spent hours playing games or browsing mindlessly through the web, she was there for a different purpose. She was there to make use of the social networking sites in hopes of making new friends. Choi started to chat with people from different countries, but she was particularly drawn to a boy named Park. Park was 18 at the time, and he lived in Miryang, which was about an hour's drive away from Choi. Both Choi and Park had a lot in common, and they would chat almost every day. For Choi, who had been living in constant fear and isolation, this was a rare moment of connection with someone who seemed to understand her struggles. As she typed out messages, she felt a sense of relief and hope. She began to confide in him about the abuse she had been enduring at the hands of her father. This connection made her feel less alone and vulnerable, and perhaps gave her a sense of belonging that she had never felt before. Despite the fact that they had never met in person, Choi began to trust Park more and more. He seemed like a kind and compassionate person, someone who was genuinely interested in her well-being. In January of 2004, she received a message from Park. Choi, we've been friends for a while now. Do you want to come to my place in Miryang? We can hang out. I promise it'll be fun. Perhaps intrigued by this invitation, Choi agreed and traveled alone by train to Miryang. Given her circumstances in life, she would have had a strong desire to find companionship and seek refuge from her difficulties in life. She may have been looking for an escape not into the virtual world, but in the real world. This impulse could have influenced her judgment and made her more vulnerable to the dangers of meeting someone she knew online. As she stepped out of the train station, she was unaware of the danger that awaited her. Upon meeting Park for the first time, Choi followed his instructions and accompanied him to his apartment. Eager to see what Park had planned for her, she felt a sense of excitement, mixed with nervousness. As Choi walked through the doors into his apartment, 18-year-old Park struck the back of her head with an iron pipe, causing her to black out. <sighs> Park wasn't alone. There were a total of 11 other boys, most of whom were minors, that were all gathered in the living room. Several articles state that the boys were allegedly part of a youth gang in Miryang. 
the group was known for their violent behavior and had a notorious reputation for assaulting and stealing from their fellow students in the area. The 12 boys then dragged the unconscious Choi to a nearby motel, where she would experience unspeakable horrors at the hands of these boys. One by one, the boys took turns to rape and sexually assault her. Some of them even took out their phones and camcorders to record the act. When she regained consciousness, her head throbbed with immense pain. She was crying, helpless and confused. And the reality of the situation eventually dawned on her. Choi realized that she had been lured into a trap and that Park had no intentions of being her friend. The man she had trusted had turned out to be her worst nightmare. But unfortunately, the true horrors had only just begun. The boys warned Choi that if she ever told another soul about what happened, the video of her assault will be plastered all over the internet. Choi was terrified and didn't know what to do. She was completely helpless and once again had no one to turn to for help. In response, the boys took advantage of her vulnerability and the horrors continued. Choi's ordeal continued for over a year and the attacks would happen in various locations. Sometimes, they would take her to motels and force her to endure hours of assault. But they didn't always confine themselves to private spaces. There were also occasions where they would rape her in public places, like playgrounds and tennis courts. Realizing the power they held over Choi, the boys relished in their ability to control and dominate her in any way they pleased. They would begin to beat her up for their entertainment and enjoyed the sight of her writhing in agony. They would also insert foreign objects into her genitals, laughing and making crude jokes about it. According to police investigations, it was revealed that Choi was raped and beaten up to 10 times by groups of 3 to 24 high school boys in each occurrence. It was also later revealed that at least 44 teenage boys were involved in the horrific act. If that wasn't enough, the boys demanded that she bring her 13-year-old sister and 16-year-old cousin to Miryang. When they arrived, the two girls were also subjected to violence and sexual abuse. Despite her compliance with the boys' demands, it was later discovered that they had no intention of keeping their promise. The videos and pictures that were taken of her brutal assault did in fact make their rounds on the internet, perhaps even viewed by thousands of people. What Choi felt can hardly be put into words. Not only was her assault now being widely circulated for the rest of Korea to see, she was also burdened with an overwhelming sense of shame and fear due to the social stigma surrounding sexual assault victims in South Korea. At the time, victims of sexual assault often faced harsh social stigmatization and condemnation from their community. Speaking out about their assaults can result in further ostracization and judgment adding to the already immense trauma and pain they have suffered. Victims may also be seen as responsible for their own assault, and their actions and reputations may be scrutinized and criticized by others. This can lead to a reluctance of other victims of sexual assault to come forward, as the fear of social repercussions can be overwhelming. 
This culture of victim blaming is a sad but very real and difficult situation for many victims. Thankfully, things have improved in Korea, and there are now more resources available for survivors of sexual assault. But at that time, this was choice reality. Physically and emotionally scarred, the 14-year-old started developing severe depression and suicidal thoughts. Choi had nowhere to go. She couldn't go home because even her own father, who should have been a protector, was one of the people who abused her regularly. Her depression and suicidal thoughts consumed her, and at her lowest point, she began to swallow large amounts of sleeping pills in a desperate attempt to end her suffering. It got to the point where she was taking up to 20 sleeping pills a day, hoping that they would finally provide her with peace and relief from the constant pain. One day, after taking an especially large dose, she woke up in the hospital. Choi's body was aching and her spirit was shattered. She didn't have the energy to open her eyes, but as she lay there, she heard a gentle voice speaking to her. Choi, are you awake? Do you know where you are, dear? Take your time. You're safe here. It was the voice of a doctor. Choi, I'm here to help you. Why don't you begin by telling me what happened? Take your time, Choi. As the doctor examined her, his expression grew increasingly concerned, and Choi could see the sadness in his eyes as he took note of her many bruises and scars. Victims of sustained abuse may experience a range of symptoms such as anxiety, depression, PTSD, and suicidal thoughts. The trauma of sustained abuse can also impede a patient's capacity to form healthy relationships and trust others. It is possible that Choi may have experienced the most severe manifestation of these symptoms, which is something that can be difficult for many people to fully comprehend. When the doctor performed a medical examination on Choi, he knew that something was very wrong. He had discovered the extent of the abuse that she had suffered over the past year, and despite feeling ashamed and afraid to speak out, Choi eventually opened up and shared her story with the doctor. She started to recount the horrific abuse she had suffered, and it was at this point that Choi's aunt was made aware of the situation. Her aunt was completely stunned when she heard what her niece had been through. She had no idea that the girl was suffering in such a terrible way, but after hanging up the call with the medical staff, her shock turned to rage. Without hesitation, she called the police and reported the incident. However, this was futile because the situation was about to take a turn for the worse. The police investigation that followed revealed that Choi was not the only victim. In fact, at least five other girls had been subjected to the same kind of violence and sexual abuse by the group of boys. To make things worse, the police officers were reported to have shifted the blame onto Choi, rather than providing her with support and protection. What occurred next was an onslaught of harassment and further distress for Choi, because her identity was about to be made public. That's coming up in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Heinous. 
an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, head on down to our website at asiantruecrimepodcast.com. This episode was researched, produced, and written by Yeo Guang Jin with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks to executive producers Danny Cordy and Barry Toh from MediaCorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous. <laughs>